Hi ABC, thank you guys for tuning in. My name is Sean Russell and I'm the Director of Operations and I lead our men's ministry here at Atascadero Bible Church. And we're glad you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, before we jump into today's message, uh, I wanted to share a few brief announcements of things that are going on here at ABC in the next couple weeks to get you guys plugged in and connected. The first is as we lead into this, this coming week, it's Easter week, and we have two services to make you aware of. We're gonna be hosting a Good Friday service on Friday at 7 p.m. in the Worship Center. So again, Good Friday service, 7 p.m. in the Worship Center. And then on Sunday, we have the opportunity for the first time in a couple years to head back into the stadium at a Tescadero High School to celebrate Easter and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So uh, we hope you'll join us for the Easter service. That's on Sunday, the 17th at 10 a.m. again at the Atascadero High School Stadium. And we're going to have plenty of great activities and, and fun for the families after the service. Um, if you're interested in learning more about parking and options, uh, we have those available to you. We have some sheets in the office, um, and we're going to send out an email with that information as well. Um, but if you, uh, if you need a little extra time, we are going to have some golf carts available to bring you back and forth to the stadium for those that need a little extra time to get in and out. But again, Easter service on Sunday, April 17th uh, at 10 a.m. at the Atascadero High School Stadium. Come and join us for that. Um, after the 17th, the following Sunday, April 24th, we have two things to make you aware of. Uh, first, we're gonna be hosting a connections class. So if you're new to the church, relatively new or just haven't found that way to get connected here at ABC, I'd invite you to consider the Connections class. We host it uh, during the 9 a.m. service uh, on the 24th. It's a five-week class. It's a chance to meet the pastors of the church, meet some of our staff, get to little, uh, know a little bit about the church itself, uh, and get plugged in in a deeper way. We host it in E102. Again, it's during the 9 a.m. service on April 24th. It's our Connections class. So uh, if you're interested in that, just let us know. You can stop by the office or you can email Lori at Lori at abcchurch.org. And the last thing before we jump into the message is as of the 24th, we are going to be moving all of our services back indoors. Uh, so we currently have three services. The service at 8 a.m. will still be in downtown. Uh, we'll continue to host our 9 a.m. service in the worship center with full kids care available. And then our 1045 service, which used to be hosted in the outside lot, will be back inside in the worship center again at 1045. So all three services as of April 24th, they're gonna be moving back inside. And, and I know many of you enjoy the, the outside and I'm one of them. Um, and so we're gonna be planning a few events, some special uh, worship nights and things like that to continue to use the outside space that we have available. But we feel comfortable moving back inside on the 24th and hope you'll join us. So uh, with that, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the message. Have a great day. ABC family, thanks for tuning in. So glad to have you with us again this week. And it just occurred to me that you probably found us as you scrolled through your social media feed. Um, and that's just uh, an indication of the age that we're living in, right? We live in an age of influencers. There are people that are on social media that grab our attention. Uh, they do that with what they say. They do that with what they do. And they, for good or for ill, they have influence on us. They, they change the way we think. They change the way we act, what we do, um, and the way we interact with the world around us. I, I, so I'm old, right? But I happen to have social media on my phone, and I tune into it from time to time. And I just got to confess to you that I have been influenced by a YouTuber. His name is Derek, and he runs a, a YouTube channel called Vice Grip Garage. And maybe one of the things you don't know about me is I love to, to play the role of a mechanic. Um, ever since I was in high school, I, I loved tinkering on my car, swapping out the engine, making it go faster, that sort of thing. 
and Vice Grip Garage is a channel about that. He'll literally go on the internet, buy a car that doesn't run, fly to wherever it is, and spend the episode getting it to run and driving it home 700 miles and all of the good, bad, and the ugly that comes with that. And frankly, I find myself thinking like him, talking like him. I'm intrigued by his mechanical prowess, his abilities, and frankly, I'm influenced. And maybe you too. Maybe you have been influenced by some people either on social media or celebrities. I mean, pick your favorite influencer, but I bet you find yourself thinking like that person, talking like that person, maybe eating or drinking the way that that person does. Um, maybe you find yourself decorating your home the way that person does, or parenting your children the way that that person does who has caught your attention. And you know you've really been influenced when you find yourself telling others about that person, just like I did with you, with Derek. So. Here we are. We're, we're diving in, continuing to preach our way through the book of Matthew. And in today's passage, I hope to make a convincing case that Jesus was the original influencer. He got people's attention with what he said and he did. And he went viral. And he had followers from everywhere. And so today we're going to open and read just three short verses here out of Matthew chapter 4. And before we read that, uh, let's just pause and pray. Father, we look to you. We thank you for these words that you have inspired. Thank you for uh, Matthew, the one who Jesus called as a disciple. And we thank you for his diligence to write and record these things in this particular order. Thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, have preserved them over the years and that we have them before us now. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would tune our ears to your voice and that you would uh, influence our thinking as we read and seek to understand and seek to apply these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Reading from Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. And he, Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So... His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So just... So we remember where this passage fits in the context. If you remember two weeks ago, Jake taught on the kingdom of God, and he showed us that there were two summary statements. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23 is one of those summary statements that, that tells us that Jesus was ministering in Galilee, and he ministered in word and deed. And the second summary statement happens in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So those become the two bookends of summary of Jesus' ministry, word and deed ministry in Galilee, word and deed ministry again uh, made mention of in Matthew 9.35. Now in between those, we have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Just if you are reading a red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, it's all red, those three chapters. It's a ministry of Jesus' words as he's teaching 
realities describing life in the kingdom. And then we have chapters 8 and 9. That's his deed ministry. Those are healings that are demonstrating what life looks like under the rule of the king. And right in the middle, at the very tail of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we have this statement of recognition of Jesus' authority. So that's the context in which this particular passage fits in, is the first summary statement of Jesus' ministry. It's a ministry of word and deed. So the question we want to seek an answer to in this morning's message is, what did Jesus do that made him an influencer? And the first thing that we see here in verse 23 is that he got people's attention through what he said and through what he did. Verse 23 said, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His was a ministry of word and deed. And in word, it was a ministry of teaching and preaching. So this teaching, he, he did that in the context of the synagogue. He was in the synagogues in Galilee. Now, the synagogue was the center of Jewish worship at the time, and it was also the center of the educational system for the people in Galilee. And Jesus would show up there at the appropriate time on the appropriate day, and he would provide instruction in a formal setting right there as they would inspect. And what what that looked like was pretty typical. It's not that different from what we do on a normal Sunday gathering around here at ABC. There would be someone who would read the particular passage out of the original language. For them, it was the Old Testament scriptures. Those were what they had, right? And they would read it out of Hebrew. And then somebody would probably translate or interpret it into the local language. And then there would be an interpretive homily or a sermon, right? Somebody would describe or exegete what that particular passage meant. And then there would be a priestly blessing. And Jesus would find himself regularly in the synagogues teaching. And we catch a, a little glimpse of him doing that in Luke chapter 4, where he rolls into a synagogue and is handed the scroll of Isaiah and he turns to that portion of Isaiah, which is, happens to be chapter 61, and he reads this. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the, Luke says he just rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down and all eyes were on him. And then he says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. That is one snapshot of what it looked like for Jesus to go into the synagogue and to teach. Now the goal of his teaching was to impart knowledge. He was using the scriptures to help the people who had gathered there understand propositions that were true about the king, propositions that were true about life in the kingdom. And that's how Jesus got people's attention. He got his, their attention through his teaching. Now, secondly, the text says that he was preaching, again, back in Matthew 4. He said he was pro proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The word used there is caruso, which is to proclaim or to preach. It is a, more of an impassioned appeal to people. So teaching is imparting didactic knowledge 
propositions, things that people can wrap their minds around and understand, and preaching is more of an impassioned appeal to live according to those truths. Now, the goal of preaching is to implore submission to the king, right? So, by contrast, with teaching, teaching was telling about who the king is, maybe what his character was like, and what it looks like to live under his sovereign rule, well, then the goal of his preaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, it's an impassioned imploring for people to submit themselves under this king. Now, good preaching includes teaching and vice versa. I think good teaching also includes preaching. And most of the time here at ABC, we seek to do both as we stand before you on a Sunday morning or as you tune in to us on a recording like this. I imagine myself thinking about what Jesus would have taught and what he would have preached. I imagine he would have preached about the character of the king. He might have turned to passages like Genesis 1 and taught that God as king is sovereign. He's the one who has that kind of power who can speak and literally physical, material things come into existence out of nothing. Remember, Genesis says, and he said, let there be light. Boom, and there was light. And that's the, the whole record, recording history of creation. God speaks, and whatever he calls into existence actually comes. That's a level of sovereignty over this physical, material world. But he also has sovereignty over the affairs of men. Perhaps he used passages like Daniel 4 where he taught this, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is a truth that I have to saturate my mind with during every election cycle here in America. I need to remember that whether my candidate wins or not, God is sovereign and he rules over the kingdom of men and he places over it the lowliest of men. This is a truth that King Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. In his pride, Nebuchadnezzar looked out over his kingdom and he says, Is this not the kingdom that I have made for my own glory and with my hand? And God humbled him. He literally removed sanity from him so that he grazed grass with the cattle for seven periods of time. And the, the text says that his hair grew long like eagle's feathers and his nails grew like the talons of birds. He was on his hands and knees until he learned this, that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar says this, after his sanity comes back to him and after he's been restored to his kingdom, he says, now I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So God is sovereign. That's part of his character. And since he is sovereign, this is good news. There is nothing outside of his control. There's nothing that's outside of the reach of God as king. There's no force of nature. There's no political power. There's no disease. There's no demons. There's no person who exists outside of God's sovereign control. That means nothing can thwart his good purposes for his people. And if you really think about that, whatever you're facing or whoever you're being opposed by today, that's comforting. 
to know that that person or those circumstances or that disease is under God's sovereign control as king. Secondly, I imagine Jesus teaching that the king is just. Perhaps he used Genesis 18, verses 20 to 25. That's the story of Abraham hearing that God is moving over towards Sodom and Gomorrah, where his nephew was living, and that God hears that the people are evil there, and he's going to destroy them. And Abraham hears that, and he calls God to question. And in verse eight, uh, chapter 18, he says this, Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose that there are 50 righteous within that city. Will you then sweep away that place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham recognized that for God to do that would be contrary to his character. It would be a compromise of his justice. And of course, God says, yes, if I find even 10 righteous in that city, I will spare it. So the king is just. And since the king is just, every consequence of sin that we have ever suffered will be made right. God will get his vengeance for every evil deed that has ever been done to you. Every manipulator and every perpetrator will one day stand before the just God, the king of the universe, and will give an account before him. He will or she will get what they deserve. You can rest in the fact that you have a king who will fight your battles for you, and there will be justice on that day. This is what the people in Jerusalem were expecting as Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday on the foal of a donkey. They recognized his kingly authority, and they thought that at that time, Jesus was coming into town as the king to execute justice and to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. But they missed the sequential inauguration of the kingdom. Yes, Jesus was coming into town, but this first trip that Jesus makes to the earth is to come and suffer as a substitute, to lay down his life on the cross and to make payment for sin so that we who believe in him might be saved. There is another return of Jesus coming, and I believe it's coming in the, in the very near future. And when he comes back in the second time, he will come to be judge of the living and the dead. And this is good news. We will have every oppressor submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and we will be freed from that oppression. Thirdly, I imagine Jesus teaching about the King, God, being merciful. Perhaps he used Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, that says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now since the king is merciful, whoever confesses their sin to the Lord and pleads the blood of the lamb as their only hope for right standing before God, 
we will be forgiven. We will not perish, but we will have everlasting life in the kingdom. That's why Jesus died on the cross as your substitute, as my substitute. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is our substitute. What we deserve as sinners, that death on the cross, eternal separation from God, damnation to hell. That's what we deserve for our sin. But Jesus takes that on as our substitute. And it says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We hear David say this in Psalm 32. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is good news under the sovereign rule of the king. Everybody who confesses him as Lord and who confesses their sin will be forgiven and will be saved from that sin. And that on the basis of faith. And that, that's always been how God has counted righteousness to his people. Back in Genesis chapter 15, he told Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. And in verse 6, it says this, He, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith, that mustard seed-sized faith of Abraham, though it wasn't perfect, was what God counted to him as righteousness. Simple belief. And that's what it is for you and me. When we recognize that we're sinners and we don't try to cover that up, but we confess it before the Lord, when we recognize that we owe God a debt because of our sin, and we recognize that God sent Jesus to pay that debt for us by laying his life down on Calvary's cross, and when we trust him as Lord and Savior and seek to order our lives under him as king, that's when we're forgiven. That's when we're truly delivered from our sin. And that's when we enter into the kingdom of the Lord and its full benefits. So Jesus ministered in word and in deed. His ministry in word was one of teaching and one of preaching. It was imparting knowledge, facts that people could wrap their minds around. And then it was an impassioned plea to submit their lives to Jesus as king. And I look you in the eye this morning and I say, have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus? Is he your substitute? Have you experienced the joy of forgiveness of sin? And do you know the joy of ordering your life under him as king and according to his commands as the sovereign over the universe? I implore you to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ today. There's no greater life. There's no greater joy. Jesus calls you, and by his grace, he'll give you faith to respond. So Jesus got people's attention through his words, through his teaching, through his preaching, but he also got their attention through his deeds, through his healing. The passage goes on. I'll turn back again to Matthew chapter 4. And he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So healing is a ministry indeed that is designed to demonstrate realities of life in the kingdom. 
what Jesus was doing in healing people, in restoring them to, to perfect health, is he is showing three things. I believe there are three things that he is doing. There are three goals for healing. One, it's, it's a demonstration that Jesus is, in fact, the king. And even Peter, in his Pentecost sermon recorded in Acts 2, says this, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you with mighty works and wonders and signs that God dimmed through him in your midst, this Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ. So these, these mighty signs and miracles, these healings, was God attesting to people that Jesus was the king. Secondly, the goal of healing is to demonstrate that the kingdom of heaven has indeed come near in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, we see John the Baptist from prison hear that Jesus is healing people, and he asks, are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we look for someone else? And Jesus just tells him, go and tell John what you see. You see people being heard, the deaf are hearing, the sight, the blind are, are given sight. Yes, I'm the one. Absolutely. So these miracles of healing are testifying that the kingdom of heaven has indeed come near. And thirdly, it's to demonstrate the, the realities of life under his benevolent reign. There is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. That will be the full experience of the kingdom of God. And John records this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. He says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's a day coming, brothers and sisters, when we who are in the kingdom of God now, through faith in Jesus, will enter into the fullness of the experience of that kingdom. There will be no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more illness. Everything will be as God intended it to be in his creation. And Jesus' miracles give us a, a, a foretaste of what that will look like for eternity. So Jesus ministered in word and in deed. He taught and he preached and he healed. In summary, he ministered in word and deed. And when he did that, he got people's attention. So what else did Jesus do that made him an influencer? Point two, he went viral. Look at verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. See, news of him spread throughout all Syria. He was ministering in Galilee, but his fame spread through word of mouth through all Syria, further to the north and further to the east. Now, Galilee, according to historians and um, scholars, was a town of a few million people. I mean, a country of, of a few million people. There were 200, 204 villages in Galilee, and the smallest village had at least 15,000 people. So if you do the math, 
there's a few million people that have heard about and are now following Jesus. And this part of the text says that fame spread to Syria. So that's more people. Bottom line, Jesus has everyone's attention in the region. He's got millions of followers at this point. And what do they do? They bring the sick and the lame and the demonized to him, and he heals them. Now, there's three categories of afflictions that are listed here. Those with diseases and pains, those are people that have physical afflictions. It also mentions those who are suffering from demons, from oppression of demons. That's, that's a spiritual affliction. And thirdly, he mentions paralytics and epileptics. Those are neurological afflictions. Bottom line, the take-home truth here is that there is no physical affliction, there is no spiritual affliction, there is no neurological affliction, there's nothing that you can ever experience with your health on this earth that lies outside of Jesus' authority to heal. And this is good news. So I don't know what you're facing these days. If you just got aches and pains, like I do, because I'm getting older, or if you actually know the oppression to some degree of demons, or if you suffer from epilepsy or some of these other things, all of those are under the authority of the king. And what you need to know is that we here at ABC believe that God is still a God who heals. And we take God at his word, and the elders are eager to pray with anybody who requests it. Since I've come here in July, we have done this no fewer than three times. People have been reading through James 5 and recognize that when you're sick, you're supposed to call the elders and request prayer. And they do, and we do. And we use James 5 as a guide. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll ask you if there's any sin for the, that you need to confess before the Lord and before us. And we pray for healing. And we believe that God hears and honors that. Have you ever seen God heal anybody? Have you ever been healed? Or do you know of somebody that's been healed in a way that the physicians just can't explain? My mother-in-law was healed. My, my wife, Lisa, could tell you that she grew up wearing slip-on dresses or sweaters that used zippers, anything other than buttons, because her mother had arthritic hands and she just couldn't navigate the buttons. Until that one day when she and her husband, Kent, went to a worship service in Denver. And at some point during the worship service, the, the preacher stopped and he said, I sense that there's somebody here who needs healing. There's something wrong with your hands and they need, they need to be freed to work properly again. And he prayed and they didn't think much of it and they went home. And the next morning they got up and they went on with life as they usually do. And then Janice realized she was doing things with her hands that at one point she couldn't. There was no more pain. There was no more limited range of motion. She was able to use her hands completely normally without the, the complications that arthritis had brought earlier. And the whole time that I've known her, her hands worked absolutely fine. And the only explanation is, is that God miraculously healed her. But we've also seen God choose to answer that prayer of healing in another way. In the year 2010, Janice came down with colon cancer, went through surgery, followed that up with a round of chemo, and we were 
begging God to heal her. And in God's sovereignty, he chose to allow her to catch a common cold, go into sepsis, and then pass away into eternity. I don't have a good explanation as to why he chose to heal her 25, 30 years before that and why he didn't choose to heal her in 2010 other than to know that he is a good and a sovereign God. He's a good king. And though he was able, his goodness is not compromised when he chose not to. So we, let's exercise our faith. Let's believe that God can heal. Let's ask him to heal. And let's glorify his name as we see evidence of him doing that. And here's the bottom line, folks. 100% of the people who were healed by Jesus in this story are no longer with us. The healings that happen on this earth, on this side of eternity, on this side of glory, are temporary at best. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but we don't have Lazarus with us today. Everybody enters into the fullness of the kingdom by walking through that door of death. So let's hold that as a truth in our heart and our mind as we seek to understand this passage. Now the third thing that Jesus did that made him an influencer is that he had followers from literally everywhere. Listen to verse 5 or 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I've got a map here that I'd like to put up and you'll see that Jesus starts his ministry up around the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum and he goes through this region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and preaching and healing. And news spreads to Syria, which would be toward the, toward the upper right of that map. And now here, they list all the names of the towns in which his fame has now spread and from which all these people are following him. It's basically the rest of the map. The whole place that Israel had inhabited, Jesus has now got followers from all over this area. And that is what made Jesus the original influencer. He got people's attention with what he said and he did. He went viral and he had followers from all over the area. But what did people do in response? Well, at the risk of being simplistic, let's look again at verse 25 that just says, and great crowds followed him. People, when they were influenced by him, they followed him. That's what followers do, right? They pay attention. They keep their ears tuned to the next thing that Jesus was going to say. They kept their eyes open to see where he was going and they joined him there. Let me ask you this. Are you following Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on him? Are you joining him in his work? We, folks, ABC family, we need to take our cues from the people who were with Jesus, who were influenced by Jesus here in this passage. We need to follow him. We need to join him in his work because Jesus met their needs and Jesus is able to meet our needs as well. The second thing that the people did in response to Jesus' ministry, they brought him all the sick. Look at verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick. That's such a simple clause that we can tend to just glance over it as we speed read it. But let's lean in and let's think about that a little bit. 
They brought him all the sick. Why would they do that? They knew that he would have compassion on them and that he would heal them. They just knew it in their heart. And that took an element of faith, didn't it? For them to see Jesus, to recognize that he was speaking with authority and preaching with authority and healing, demonstrating his authority. And they just knew that if they brought their friend to see Jesus, he would make them whole. ABC family, we have got to imitate these people. There are people all around us, in our families, in our own homes, in our home city here of Atascadero. There are people all over the globe who need to experience the healing touch of Jesus, and they won't unless someone like you or someone like me brings them to Jesus. Invite them to church. We're going to have an amazing celebration of the resurrection next Sunday at the high school stadium. Bring them to church, 10 a.m. Easter Sunday morning. They'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they'll have an opportunity to be baptized. People need to experience the healing touch of Jesus and they can if we bring them to him. We've got a group of people that gather here every Thursday night at Celebrate Recovery and we come recognizing that we're broken people who need the healing touch of Jesus and we are seeing God do amazing things in and through that ministry. Come to CR Thursday nights. Bring someone who needs to experience the healing touch of Jesus on a Thursday night. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be because Jesus is king and when we become citizens of his kingdom, he invites us into his work and he gives us meaningful things to do. And the, the good news of the gospel that comes off of my tongue and your tongue, that message of hope, that people need to hear, it's God's good pleasure to use frail, fallen people like you and I to accomplish his plans and to build his kingdom on this earth. So by way of application, let's let him influence us. Let's lean in and listen to what he has to say. Let's be taught by him as we continue to read and preach our way through the book of Matthew. Let's listen to what he has to say about the realities of the king and the realities of the kingdom. Let's, let's witness these miracles as we read those stories again. Let's allow that to fuel our faith. Let's hear him give instruction of what it's like to live in the kingdom and what characterizes those who are in the kingdom. And let's become like those people. Let's learn to speak like Jesus, to think like Jesus even to dress like Jesus. Maybe we could even learn to decorate our homes the way that Jesus would have us decorate our homes, whatever that might need to look like. Maybe you need to learn how to parent your children the way that Jesus would have you parent your children. Perhaps we just need to tell other people about Jesus. I don't know what the Lord is doing right now as he tugs on the on strings of your heart, but whatever he is inclining you toward, don't resist him. He's king. He's sovereign. He's good. And you will never know a more abundant life than the life that you submit to his kingship and order under his kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the king. He's the one we've been waiting for and you have abundant life as you order yourself under him. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. 
We thank you for this passage. We thank you for its truths. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the original influencer. And Lord, we lean in and we long to be influenced by you. Would you please tune our ears to your voice? Would you please incline our hearts toward belief? Would you please guide our hands and our feet and use our tongues so that we can be the hands and feet of Christ and proclaim the message of reconciliation through faith in Christ to a world that is lost and hurting that needs your healing touch. Lord, would you please build your kingdom right here in Atascadero through simple people like us. We thank you that this is your plan, that this is your will, and that you promised the gates of hell won't prevail against your church. Oh Lord, how we want to be a holy church that lives rightly, that proclaims things that are true about you in the way that we live and in the way that we speak. So please, Holy Spirit, have your way among us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. and We look forward to seeing you on Easter Sunday. Please come join us, 10 a.m. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.